Warm Weather Fans is brought to you by Zencaster. As you can hear at the beginning of each episode, we use Zencaster to record and host all of our podcast episodes, and the platform is incredibly easy and user-friendly. Users can record up to 4K video quality and high-quality audio with just the click of a button, as you can hear from our episodes. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes any feedback in your recording and gives each user their own dedicated audio stream. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with just the click of a button. So now go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my promo code WARM and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and recording needs. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Welcome everybody into another episode of Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host, Brian Stone, joined once again this week by Matt Miguez and Zeke Palermo. Uh, let's start it off with Zeke. Zeke, how you doing this week? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, Brian. Uh, I'll be honest; I'm really glad to see Colorado get walked by Oregon. That made my uh, that made my weekend. Um, but you know, just excited to talk some Sunbelt here, man. Yeah, they they got the dog walked on them for sure, and uh, we'll see how they got. I think they get USC this weekend, so we'll see how that how that plays out. Matt, how are you doing? Kicking it over to you, man. I'm good. Um. The Zeon Chris show is on, on full display here in Lafayette. Uh, we, we've been waiting on that for a while. I, I say a while. He's, he's been with the program 18 months. But um, can can I just say with the Colorado thing, it, it's weird. I have this very weird dynamic with Deion Sanders. I could not stand his arrogance as a player. Like when you go back and watch his highlights, I couldn't stand that. But for some reason as a coach, I love it. I, I don't know why. Um, but I don't understand why people hate Colorado. Is it because of Dion? That that's my I've got no beef with the team, with the player. Shadur Sanders is a really fun guy to watch. Same thing, Travis Hunter, you know, God pray he's healthy. You can't root against a guy like that that plays both ways so so well and, and with such excitement behind him. It's just Dion has turned me off from that program so so to such a degree that it it tarnishes the whole team, at least from my perspective. Yeah. So my thing about Colorado is like for them, at least they're relevant, right? Like twelve months ago. They were what, 0 and 12, 1 and 11, 2 and 10, or something like that. So at least people care enough to even mention them, is kind of how I see it. I mean, I I was fine with the Dion stuff because I knew, like, for all the talk deep down, like, they're not going to go win the Pac 12. So what is it, you know, let them, let them have fun for a couple weeks, you know? It's, it's, it's eventually going to come crashing down because you have to play USC, Oregon, Washington. Like, those teams are, are buzzsaws compared to what Colorado is. So that's neither here nor there. Uh, we wanted to get, I actually brought an event this week uh, that I would like to ask Zeke where he was at this particular point in time. Uh, 
So I was thinking about, I got asked a question uh, at work for like an icebreaker that was, what is a pop culture event you can't stop thinking about or still think about years later? So Zeke, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you February 1st, 2015. It's halftime of the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl, and Katy Perry comes up to perform and we get the infamous left shark performance. Zeke, what, what were you, what were you up to in 2015? What were you doing? So, um, 2015, I would have been 14 years old. Um, oh my God. I, here's the thing. I left shark was one of those things that like, I feel like I was an appropriate age to like have picked up on that and understood it. I never really got it as a meme as a whole. Like I understood it. Right. There's just weird guy dancing as left shark. Right. But it didn't stick out to me watching that halftime show. I, I remember the beachy themed Katy Perry. I mean, Katy Perry's great. Banger after banger is her discography. Um, but I, I was, I missed Left Shark almost entirely, to, to be honest. I, I, I'm aware of it, but that's just one that never really landed with me. See, I, I, I only saw it once it was basically, it was after the Super Bowl was over, it was basically broken down like the Zapruder film. Like it was, people were going like frame for frame, being like, watch him do this move here. Right. And he moves his fin like slightly 90 degrees. And it's like, <laughs> the people were breaking it down like it was the JFK assassination footage. Like, <laughs> I remember I remember Kirk Herbstreet doing like a meme video where, you know, like when they do the replays and he's breaking it down, he was like, watch how he adjusts his body position here. <laughs> so funny. But no, so to, to piggyback off of what Brian just said, during the halftime show, I didn't notice it. It wasn't until after that I was like, oh, what an idiot. Like, he screwed up. Um, But no, so Zeke, you said you were 14 in 2015? So maybe I'm doing my math wrong, but I would have been 13 during that Super Bowl. Oh, my God. I was graduating high school. I had graduated college and had been out for a year. Shut up, Brian. <laughs> okay, Shut up, Brian. <laughs> okay, boomer. <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zeke was too busy eating blow pops at halftime to, to keep up with who was performing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, anyway. Let's start talking about, speaking of Zeke, let's start talking about this week of football. And we start off with Thursday night's matchup between Georgia State and Coastal Carolina. I sent you guys a text when this game was on, and Zeke, you responded. But I, I sent you a text that said, I can't tell if Coastal Carolina is playing really poorly or if Georgia State's playing really well. And you sent a response that said, I think it's 60-40 Coastal not playing well. And so... There was a lot about this game that really stood out to me, but Zeke, since you are the the resident uh, Georgia State aficionado, I want to sort of give the floor to you before I kind of chime in with my thoughts, but go ahead. Uh, I think two things really stood out. Um, for one, it's how efficient Georgia State is with the football. 
They, they, we know that they are capable of running the ball. They've been in one of the best running teams in the conference for the past couple of years. And, and as we were kind of talking about um, earlier, Matt and I were, Darren Granger has finally become the quarterback that we all kind of thought he might have been able to be. And that is, I, I guess Anthony Richardson would be an interesting comp where he's like, he's not afraid to run. He's a great runner, but the dude also just has an absolute cannon. It's not the most refined arm, uh, but he's not going to miss the easy throws if it's a quick check down. Um, he's not going to, you know, send you in the next week with how impressive his arm is. But it, in terms of strength, it's incredible. And, and in terms of just like electricity as a player, it, incredible. So I think how efficient they are with the football. If you look back at this game, only four drives did they not score on. And one of those was a fumble, right? So, and then the other side of that is that they fi- finally figured out, or at least band-aided the the third down problem that I I've spoken about at length, ranted about at length on this podcast. Um, it was that after two weeks against UConn and Rhode Island, Georgia State was bottom five in the country in def- on defensive third downs, and they're still not great. They're sitting closer to the the fifty, just a a notch below 50% mark now, um, uh, defensive third down conversions, but it's lower than the 60, 70 it was. And that has provided just, I mean, it's just bountiful uh, how, how rewarding that has been for the team because now they're getting off the field and letting their incredible run game dominate the game, run down the, uh, the game clock, dominate time of possession. And so I, I think those are the two things that stood out most to me in this game is that they, they really have band-aided or duct-taped together this third-down uh, defense, and this offense is the best it's been quite possibly since Sean Elliott took over. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really any, any doubt of that. Um, so, Coastal, this is sort of what I was talking about in the preseason with the Tim Beck effect uh, or whatnot, is – they just don't look like the same football team as they did with Jamie Chadwell. And the play calling is not as interesting or, you know, it's not catching other defenses off guard as much. Um, I specifically remember a series and I'm currently in the process of trying to find it through the drive chart on ESPN. But I specifically remember a series. I think it was before halftime where Coastal was sort of going to the end zone and they ran the same play two consecutive times, which was just like a corner route with a receiver. And and McCall didn't hit the guy either time because the first time he overthrew it and the second time the the defenders are standing right there like you just ran this play. Try it again. And it didn't work a second time either. So I I don't know, man, like this is sort of I mean, again, this is what I was talking about with. Tim Beck and this was sort of my fear which was his offenses by and large have never been good that he's been the offensive coordinator of and and so you know Grayson McCall can only cover up so much when you don't run the football effectively McCall's throwing at a 50% clip defense can't really stop Georgia State at all this is sort of what I was I was afraid of so Matt I want to throw it over to you 
what did you sort of gather from this game? Do you think it was more impressed by Georgia State, or do you think it was more, wow, Coastal really looks like they're they're definitely not as good as they have been? I think it's more how impressed I am by Georgia State. I mean, you know, there, there's been a couple of seasons where, you know, Sean Elliott has put nice years together. They they went eight and five one year. I want to say they went nine and four another. Um, you know, he, he's had a couple of good runs at Georgia State, but never had that one team that you were like, okay, this team can compete. And you finally feel that way about Georgia State. I mean, not only are they 4-0, and but they've played well in all four games. And, and you know, Zeke said it before we started recording, and, and I think he put it perfectly, the Panthers have gotten better every single week. And that is the mark of a team that can compete for a championship. Marcus Carroll is playing out of his mind, one of the best rushers in the entire country as it stands right now. Uh, Darren Granger is finally becoming the quarterback that I've long believed that he could be and that he had the potential to be. Um, now, look, I knew Coastal Carolina was going to go through some growing pains. This is a new coaching staff. Uh, you know, Jamie Chadwell was the reason for a lot of their success. Uh, so I, I'm not surprised that they went through struggles, but I, I think they end up being fine. I, I still think they're a, a nine and three football team with uh, Grayson McCall under center, but man, Georgia State looks like a team that could seriously compete for the Sun Belt East. See, I I don't think I agree on the nine and three thing, just because they're going to have to go seven and one the rest of the way. Like they already have two losses in the books, and like I I was really impressed by Georgia State. I don't want to diminish what what they did, but man, Coastal. Like I said, some of the play calling decisions are super like head scratching. You don't really understand what's going on uh, defensively. I mean, they didn't look like they could stop anything that Georgia State did. Georgia State did a better job of stopping themselves on offense than Coastal did stopping Georgia State's offense. So that's sort of my concern is if the play calling on offense takes a step back and the defense takes a step back, then what do you really have to hang your hat on? You need Grayson McCall to throw for. 325, 350 every game to keep you in football games. So that's that's sort of where my concern is. And I found the the set of plays that I was talking about. It was in the uh in the first quarter, Coastal is down seven. They're going to the end zone, and Grayson McCall throws back to back incomplete passes on second and third down from the Georgia State 13. And then they have to settle for three and then Georgia State walks down the field on the next drive and makes it 14 to 3 instead of 14 to 7. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Something I want to jump in, kind of what you're talking about, the offensive stagnation from Coastal is that thus far this season, they've been relying a lot on Sam Pinckney and Jared Brown. And for the first time this year, um, it, it feels like we saw a team, that team obviously being Georgia State, shut down one of them. Uh, they they held Jared Brown to only 21 yards on three catches. And I've got a feeling when it comes to the, you know, when he come up against Marshall or App or Old Dominion, or not Old Dominion, sorry, James Madison, the, the rest of the teams you got on the schedule, it seems like we might have this blueprint of how to beat Coastal 
with Tim Beck. And it's just like, let Sam Pinckney get 90 yards on you. Heck, let Jared Brown do it. If you're walking down the other guy, that might be the blueprint for success moving forward against Coastal. So basically what you're saying is they have they have like two number two receivers, but not one guy that's really, really, really going to make you pay if you let him go off. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Pinckney and Brown are probably the best pair of receivers in the conference uh, from, a, from a talent standpoint, but it's just like, let that one guy get 100 yards. One 100-yard receiver isn't going to kill you if the other guys on the team are maxing out at 19 yards. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. So with that big win, Georgia State moves to 4-0 and is now 1-0 in Sunbelt play. Coastal drops to 2-2 and is now 0-1 in the conference. Let's get into Saturday's slate of games. Uh, I want to start off with Troy uh, defeats Western Kentucky. Uh, the final score makes this one look closer than it really was. Western Kentucky scored with two minutes left to pull within three, but it was mostly, it was sort of back and forth, but it never really felt like outside of the second quarter uh, when Gunnar Watson hit that long pass to Chris Lewis that Western Kentucky really never was in that game after that point. I mean, it, it was close on the scoreboard, but they were never really threatening to, you know, take over the lead and, and win that game. Troy gets 521 yards of offense in this one. We've, we've been maligning their offense, I think, fairly. You know, outside of Kimani Vidal, I mean, it's been, Gunnar Watson's been eh, like the last couple weeks or so. So, Matt, I want to throw it to you. What did, did you learn something about Troy in this game that maybe you weren't sure about or maybe didn't know before they kicked off on Saturday? Not really. Um, I mean, Troy kind of did exactly what I expected them to do. Kamani Vidal is going to run the football, and he ran it well. You know, Gunnar Watson did some things well, throws for 350 yards. And then late in the game, when Western Kentucky kind of put some pressure on him, you know, it was 20-14 going into the fourth quarter. Um, West uh, Troy adds another touchdown, and then Western scores 10 points in the fourth quarter. Troy found a way to finish it. They held on and, you know, that's the mark of a good team as well. And, and, you know, I've always said since John Summerall got to Troy that he was going to consistently have a good football team, not always a great football team, but they were always going to be good. And the mark of a good football team is the ability to close out games when they're tight. And I, I think that's exactly what you saw out of Troy. So to answer your question, no, I really didn't see anything that surprised me, uh, but I will give credit to Western Kentucky for, for hanging in there. That was a uh, a well-fought, very entertaining football game. Zeke, uh, Kimani Vidal kind of did what he does, uh, ran for 156 and, and two touchdowns. Gunnar Watson, I mean, we I, I kind of said it off the top, looked, I mean, good for what we typically expect out of Gunnar Watson, which is not a lot. I mean, to be quite frank, like game managey type of performances typically from him. What did what did you see out of this offense that that I guess was you know a positive for them and something they can take in moving forward? I, I think the biggest positive that they could take away is that they had a bunch of guys catching passes. Um, you mentioned 
Gunnar Watson isn't gonna he you know he's he's no world beater. He he he'll get the yardage if you need him to get the yardage. Like Matt mentioned, he passed for over three hundred yards for a second consecutive game, mind you, which I don't think we can just brush off. He's had two very strong statistical performances. But I think the biggest thing is that you had a bunch of guys catch passes. I, I mean, it, it sounds silly, but when you can get, you know, five guys with more than three receptions, that really opens up the offense, uh, especially when you're handing it off to Kamani Vidal so much. It means that any of the other four eligible guys on a play action are legitimate threats. And, and that that really excites me for this offense, because even with a guy like Gunnar Watson, who, again, no world beater, but will get the job done. They, they're going to they're going to stick with Vidal. They're going to let him carry the ball 30 times a game. They're going to keep letting him do that. He, he's a great running back, and, and they're not going to stray from that. But they now, we know, have confirmation, rather, that they have the ability to open it up. They have the receivers to open it up. And, and of those receivers is Kimani Vidal himself, which makes him that much more of a threat. Yeah, I, I talked about Chris Lewis uh, and his 40-yard touchdown catch uh, going into halftime that, that gave Troy a 10-7 lead. He was actually the leading receiver for the Trojans in this one. Three catches, 101, and a score. Uh, I, I know Z-Click's playing the, well, what if you took away his longest play uh, game, but he basically averaged 30 yards of reception. So uh, 33.3, if you want to get really math nerd about it, but 33.3 yards per reception on three catches is pretty dang good. Uh, and so, yeah, good win for Troy. Uh, we all kind of foresaw them winning this game. So not, not like a hugely surprised by the result, but kind of what you said as well. Good, good on Western Kentucky for being able to sort of hang in there. Uh, with that, Troy moves to two and two on the season. Western Kentucky drops to two and two this season. Uh, getting into this next one here, Marshall uh, runs past Virginia Tech. Uh, we all kind of foresaw this. Vegas foresaw this. This was maybe the most apparent result, I think, that, that of a, of a game that wasn't just like an easy cupcake game. I mean, you know, for all the problems that Virginia Tech's pro football program has, they still at their heart are an ACC team. So, but Marshall, man, Rasheen Ali, 174, two touchdowns. Th this was the perfect Marshall game script because Cam Fancher didn't have to do hardly anything, and he barely did. So, uh, uh, kudos to him for, for that. Zeke, Cam Fancher is your boy, but again, didn't have to do very much. So what do you sort of take away from, from this win over Virginia Tech? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway is that Cam Fancher isn't progressing as well as I, and I don't want to say many others, but I, I know I think, Brian, I thought you were in agreement with me that we thought Cam Fancher was going to take a, a solid step forward. Uh, he was kind of thrown into the job last season uh, and saw some good snaps and, and looked, you know, respectable for a guy in, in his first his his first job. But he, he's not. He didn't progress a ton on the ground. His passing leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, he threw two interceptions in this game, uh, only 166 yards. So uh, the biggest takeaway from this game for me is that just like Cam Fancher has stalled and. and 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No need to move on from him, but I'm not certain if, you know, you project two years down the line if Fancher's still going to be the guy. No, I think certainly not. And and that's sort of been the uh, the the story of the last two Marshall quarterbacks has been, well, I'm throwing Columby out because he wasn't a starter for a full season, but that's sort of been the problem with the last two Marshall quarterbacks is Grant Wells looks really good his freshman year and then comes out as a sophomore. And I think in his, in his first game of his sophomore year for Marshall throws like five interceptions in the first game or something. And he regresses as a quarterback. And then you talked about Fancher. I, I liked him. Okay. I just thought he, you know, if he starts it here, he can get incrementally better. And he just seems to have maybe not even stalled, but like regressed. I think like he's gotten, I think he's gotten worse to be totally honest. And I'm, I, I, he's going to be the single handedly, single handedly, the reason why Marshall doesn't go further than they do is because you've got to play absolute Troy level lockdown defense. We've seen last year to make it to, you know, the Sunbelt title game type stuff. And their defense is good, but it's not, it's not that level. So when you have a guy throwing for 166, and two picks, it's it's tough to sort of project that. Matt, they did beat Virginia Tech, so we do have to give them credit for that, I guess. Virginia Tech is not a, a good football team, but what do you think that what do you think that sort of means for them that they were able to uh, to beat Virginia Tech? It's big because, like you said, no, they're not a very good football team. But like you said earlier, at the heart of it, they're still an ACC football team. This is still a Power 5 victory that, although the scoreboard says it was seven points, I think it was more dominant than that. Um, I I think Marshall played incredibly well. And may I just, while we're on the topic of Marshall, uh, shout out to their video department. Because I don't know if you saw the drone video that they shot. That That was cinema. It was absolutely incredible. I could give... Two rats' asses, sorry, excuse my French, about Marshall. But man, I got goosebumps watching that. Like, incredible stuff. Uh, so whatever fine or public reprimand the Sunbelt gave them, that's worth it. I take that all day long. Um, the other thing that we need to be talking about, you know, why are we, why are we talking about Sunbelt football when we could be discussing the fact that Travis Kelsey has been placed on the map by one Miss Taylor Swift. Right? What? <laughs> I'm, I'm, did you, have you picked up on the sarcasm? Uh, no, I, I didn't know where you were going with that, no. to be totally honest. Is it me and Zeke are just sitting so, here puzzled. So I don't know if you guys get on TikTok a lot, but there are... But there are videos where these wives are looking at their husbands going, guy, I mean, did you did you know that uh, Taylor Swift was so generous to just, like, put this Travis Kelsey guy on the map? Like, she made him famous. It's like, shut up. He's the greatest tight end possibly ever. And, yes, Taylor Swift put him on the map. I don't know why I brought this up. I just felt compelled to. Um... Uh, no, I'd seen this as well. I was I was confused as the t- 
to the connection. I thought um, he was going to bring it back. There, there is going to bring it back around. There is bring, uh, I'm going to I'm going to bring it back around with this. We are Marshall. Okay, still looking for that tenuous link to to Travis Kelsey and the Swifties. <laughs> um, I just just as a final note on the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing. Uh, I've been seeing people joking around that are like, man, if we get the Swifties into football, they'll be able to break down a cover two beater like no one's business. Like it's going to it's going to be they're going to be in the film room, them and and like John Gruden or whoever with the laser pointer being like, that's why you run spider two wide banana right there. (laughs) So I love that. Um, And and Matt, you were talking about Marshall's like social team. I retweeted it on our our. podcast twitter feed at warm weather fans on zitter uh but marshall uh tweets a picture of a buffalo basically having i don't know blown something up it seems like with dynamite maybe and it just says exit sandman it's a great tweet love it it's a great tweet so with that marshall moves to three and oh this season uh virginia tech drops to one and three um, getting into this next one here, we don't have to talk about this very much. Uh, I mean, Georgia Southern beats Ball State forty to three. It actually got me feeling bad for Ball State. Georgia Southern beats Ball State forty to three. It was ugly from the jump. Ball State couldn't do anything. Their quarterback, I mean, he looked like he was lost. Like today was his first day with the playbook. Like he. He was dropping back. They were bringing nickel corner blitzes. He was just not even turning his head. Like he was, if the play went to the left side of the field and they brought a corner blitz from the right, he just never turned his head. It, he would just get smacked like a like it was crazy. So, you know, Davis Brin finally took out his red tinted sun, uh, lens, contact lenses, threw for three forty four and four touchdowns, no picks this week, which is which is good coming off of that Wisconsin debacle. They ran the ball anytime they wanted to. They could throw the ball over the field. It was, it was just a. I mean, they just they dominated them. There's not much else to say about it. Um. So anyway, Georgia Southern moves to three and one this season. Ball State drops to one and three. Getting into this next one here, uh, Old Dominion barely edges out Texas A and M Commerce. By one point, that's that's not as much of a statement as it is a question. Like, what what happened? So, Matt, I'm going to throw it to you. One of the things we talked about before we started recording is the, the loss a couple weeks ago that Louisiana had to Old Dominion. That's looking worse every single week if Old Dominion keeps playing like this. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Monarchs right now. Um, they're... They're not making the lone slip up look like a, oh, well, you know, at least they're good. No, now, now Cajuns fans are looking at it. How the hell did we lose to that? Um, But look, again, I say this often and I know it's cliche. Good teams find ways to win. Even 10, nine games that you play like crap. They found a way to hang on and win it. So you got to give them props to some extent. Um, but no, if, if I'm a fan of Old Dominion, 
I would certainly be questioning some things heading into their matchup this week. Um, but look, oh, uh, no matter how you skin the cat, a win's a win. Matt, when you said we might, we might have to give them credit for winning this game. I don't know if you're speaking French because I don't. I'm not giving them any credit. Like I'm, you know, I'm sorry. It's a it's a one point win against a, a what is it Southland Conference? You said a Southland Conference. Yeah, and a a, a, a bad Southland team. At yeah. That. So Zeke, I want to throw it over to you. Old Dominion turned the ball over five times in this game. So. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that I necessarily have a question for you, but it's just like, it, is this something that's just going to continue throughout the rest of the season? Is like Old Dominion will just get up for one game like they did last year, and then there, and then it's just roller coaster down the rest of the season. I am optimistic for Old Dominion. Not that they're going. Hear me out. I, I see your face. I don't think they're going to turn this into a, a bowl game season or anything. But when you look at how this game went down, three drives, nine plays, three interceptions. That's how Grant Wells, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Grant Wilson ended his Old Dominion career. I would be surprised if he ever sees the field for this team again as the starter. Jack Shields comes in, a sophomore, in his first NCAA game ever. And plays pretty well. I, I 14 for 20, 258 yards, right? The two of their turnovers were turnover on downs. So so I you know, it's not like he's throwing interceptions. One of them is a fumble, which you can't just ignore the fumble, but fumbles happen. I think Old Dominion played a lot better post Wilson, and once they handed the reins over to Jack Shields. I don't think they're going to turn around the season, but I'm more optimistic that they're not going to get caught in this kind of ugly, just atrocious offensive performance again. Because I, I think Jack Shields uh, might be the antidote to what is an otherwise pretty ugly offense. Matt, I'm going to say something. I don't know if you want to. You can jump in if you have thoughts on what I'm about to say or not, or, or you can just say I've got nothing. But I, I, th- I think the problem is with this type of stuff is we've seen these guys from different teams come in for in relief of one game and look all right. And then the next week it's just back into the toilet. So that's sort of where my hesitation is with, I I mean, Wilson looked awful. There's no way to, to positively spin that, but even Jack Shields, it's like, Okay, if he's the starter and he comes out next week, he could be the guy throwing three interceptions. That's that's just the type of things that we see from these Sunbelt quarterbacks. So, like, that's where my hesitation is, is, like, he played pretty well in this one, but next week he could be, you know, he could turn back into a pumpkin. Like, clock could strike midnight on him. So I, I don't really know what to take away either way. Mm-hmm. I, I would lean to agree with you. And I, I know this was directed at Matt, but I, I want to get my counterpoint in here. I I would lean to agree with you, especially because 12 for 20, that implies that they were just Dinkin and Duncan. But he had 258 yards, right? He wasn't playing with a really restricted playbook. This is a guy, he, he's been with the team for two years. He didn't just join in. So I, I think they've been waiting for this time for Jack Shields to get his moment. And I, I, I'm i I'm not counting on him to uh, for the clock to straight midnight on him, not for at least another couple weeks. 
You see, I'm going to disagree on one thing. I don't think Ricky Ronnie's going to give up on Grant Wilson. Because I think he was a highly coveted transfer for them. He won the starting job for a reason. And just because he played poorly in one bad game, uh, because let's let's remember, two weeks ago against Louisiana, he was fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, So, look, obviously this was not a great performance from him, but I I don't think that one game is just going to immediately pull pull the reins back. But I, I will agree with Zeke on the fact that maybe the leash on Grant Wilson got a little bit shorter. Uh, with the way Jack Shields came in and played. Uh, but I still think Grant Wilson is going to be the starter on Saturday when they take on Marshall. I, one more point to mine is that let's, let's, I, I understand that Wilson was a, a big transfer for them and someone that they wanted to get in. But it, as late as mid-August, before the season started, we didn't know who the quarterback was. They were still running two starters, and it was Shields or Wilson. So, so it's not like this guy was sitting in the wings as the two. He, he was competing in the spring game over the summer and in camp. He, I think, again, this is based on just conjecture. Uh, I expect Shields to start this weekend because he could have been the week one starter had, had camp gone a little differently. Well, we'll see who ends up taking the, the snaps uh, from under center uh, for Old Dominion, but Let's let's all just hope that it goes better this week than it did against Texas A&M Commerce. Old Dominion barely moves on to 2 and 2 this season. Texas A&M Commerce drops to 0 and 3. <sighs> Getting into another game, the South Alabama man has just got me absolutely scratching my head. I don't know what to expect from them on a week-to-week basis. Um one week they're beating a Big 12 team by 26. The next week they're they're losing to Central Michigan at home. I I, I don't know what to make of them anymore. I we we all had really high expectations for them coming in and and they frankly have not lived up to any of them. I mean, they like I said last week I was honestly surprised because they looked so poor against Tulane that the result of the, the Oklahoma State game, I was like, wow, maybe they've kind of turned a corner and figured it out. Nope, they sure haven't because because they lost to uh, the Chippewas. Um, so, Matt, you being the West expert, what are, what are we doing with South Alabama? Are, are they good? Are they not? I, I don't know what to make out of it. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation today um, – with somebody, and I think that when you look at this West Division, the two teams that we said going into it were going to scratch and claw to win the West, neither team is as good as we expected. I think we can all agree with that, that South Alabama and Troy are not off to the starts that we expected them to be off to. Um, and, and that makes things very interesting because now you have a Troy and South Alabama team who are still trying to figure themselves out. You've got a Texas State team that has come out of the depths with G.J. Kinney's offense and 
honestly has me scared as all get out for them to come to Cajun Field in two weeks. Um, or next Saturday, should I say. And, and then you have a very scrappy Louisiana team that's got a really good defense that has that has made some some things happen. So I don't roll your eyes. Don't make I mean, that face. You just let a guy, hold on um, really, really quick. You just let a guy who threw three interceptions against Texas A&M Commerce absolutely torture secondary. That's not that's not a that's not a, a take. That is something that already happened. So that's why I'm rolling my eyes. One one bad game, my guy. They're still they still lead the country in sacks. Um so look, I I think it's one of those things where when you look strictly at South Alabama, maybe maybe they're just in a slump right now and they turn it on, you know, post their bye week. Or maybe this is South Alabama. We we don't know yet. Uh, it's still a little too early to tell. But yeah, going from going to Stillwater and absolutely dominating to letting Central Michigan come down to Mobile and beat you, not a great look for for Kane Womack and company. I I think uh, some of the other reasons that I'm trying to sort of still wrap my head around it is, you know, we put a lot on their defense and said their defense is going to be one of the top defensive units in the Sun Belt. Okay. Zeke, you can play off of this. I don't think one of the top defenses in the Sun Belt, in my opinion, would let a team go 11 plays, 75 yards at the end of the game, needing a touchdown with two minutes and what, 42 seconds to go and punch in a, a four-yard score that eventually gives the Chippewas the win. I, I, we there, There's no rhyme or reason to it because they returned so many players from last year that you can't chalk it up to, oh, well, we lost a, a handful of guys that were key contributors. They basically returned almost their entire set of starters on both sides of the ball. So... This is mm-hmm. this is sort of why it's been a headache. Is like I, I don't know if they're going to be the team that beats the brakes off of Oklahoma State, or if they're a team that just packs it in and lets Central Michigan go down the field on them. So I don't know where you want to take that, but so I've got two observations about this team, um, and the first circulates entirely around Ladamian Webb because he talk about wanting to pull your hair out is enigmatic as all get out because you think one week he's capable of dropping 120, 130, 140. I mean, against Oklahoma State, he had 151 yards. But then he comes out against Central Michigan, and and it's only 70 yards, which 70, it's a fine performance, right? But when Lindamian Webb is on it, they, they win games. When they're giving him carries, the Jaguars win games. And when he's just not there, the the numbers indicate that the Jaguars aren't there either. The the second observation about South Alabama, and, and this is from the game against Central Michigan, is that the defense, when it shows up, is really good. Four three and outs they forced, right? And, and then in the other non-scoring drives – were were si- the only other non-scoring drive was a six-play drive. 
However, if you can get even just one first down against South Alabama, it looks like you're just going to march. You mentioned the 11, the 14, 10, 11 play drives. They uh, Central Michigan had a three play drive, 75 yards because of one big boom. But South Alabama is, is suffering from what I saw from Georgia State a couple weeks ago is they can't get off the field. When they get off the field, they're great. They drop 30. Like 30 points should be enough to win you a football game. But as you talked about, Brian, these long drives of five minutes, seven minutes, they had Central Michigan had three drives over five minutes long. That's one-sixth of a half. And so if they – it's just going to be what I said about Georgia State two, three weeks ago is if they can't get off the field, they're not going to win football games. Georgia State figured out how to band-aid it. And if South Alabama can get LaDamian Webb more involved and figure out how to band-aid this third down defense, I think they'll be all right. But we're four games into the season, and they've done neither of those very effectively. So there's two things I want to say as we sort of wrap this up here. Number one, if you are a fan of South Alabama and you listen to the show, email us at warmweatherfans at gmail.com and sort of tell us, like, what's the deal? <laughs> you know, it, it's just that simple. Like, there's it doesn't seem to be one thing or another. It's just, what's the deal? I, I, I'd like to know because I, I don't I don't get what's happening to this team. Second thing is, Maybe they just really struggle with rushing quarterbacks because Jace Bauer for Central Michigan had 224 yards passing in a score and then led the team with 55 yards on the ground and four touchdowns by himself. So maybe their Achilles heel is just they can't they can't contain running quarterbacks, which you know is not a huge deal in the Sun Belt, but there are some guys that can kind of move, so that needs to be something that they're prepared for you know matt zion chris can run a little bit darren granger can move a little bit i mean that needs to be something that they they're adequately prepared for and in this one it just didn't didn't seem like it was so with that central michigan moves to two and two this season south alabama drops to two and two uh another game i didn't see coming but was tight Wyoming was favored. You, they were on the road. Appalachian State was on the road at Wyoming. Wyoming puts up 15 of their 22 points in the fourth quarter alone and comes back to defeat App, who was up 19-7 to uh, with 11.42 left in the fourth quarter. The crazy thing, too, about this is, uh, and, and Zeke, you can chime in after after I sort of say this, Wyoming had seven first downs in this game. Seven. For the whole game. They had 208 yards of total offense. So, Appalachian State had the ball for 40 minutes of the game. Like, I just don't, I don't understand how you can lose a game like that when you're leading, you're you're doing pretty much anything you want to string these drives out, and then it's, a blocked field goal return and a and a seventy five yard uh, touchdown pl- pass one play boom, and then Wyoming walks out the winner. So I don't know, kind of kind of talk to me about <laughs> was this just sort of a fluky set of events or what? So I'm willing to say that this certainly was a fluky thing, right? As you mentioned, the game winner for Wyoming was a 
blocked kick, uh, blocked field goal within the final two minutes of the game. That that's what won them the game. That that's your storyline there. But so I'm willing to chalk it up to flukiness for that reason. However, App State, two things: one, offense stalls out like nobody's business. Shout out Michael Hughes, dude had the best career or game of his career because they kicked four field goals and they were all from within 30 some odd yards he has one from 50 but but we're looking at 25 28 20 they're they're putting together drives that just stall out and and that's unsustainable the second part is as app has been for the past two three years not a second half team Uh, they're rather or rather a team of one half App State scored one scored once in the second half. Again, unsustainable. So I, I, I'm just really disappointed more than anything by the inconsistency and, and inefficiency in the red zone for, from the Mountaineers. Because again, like excluding this block kick, which look you can't take those points off the board. But if if we look at the points that the defense allowed, uh, they the defense played a pretty strong game. As you mentioned, only seven first downs. A really good game from the defense. The offense just like, dude, what are you doing, man? You, you got to score touchdowns. Field goals can't win you games. Matt, uh, I'm, I'm sure you sort of share my uh, outlook on this. I'm personally of the opinion that if you play a game against an opponent and you hold their leading passer to 31 yards through the air on 30% completions – and the guy only registers one an interception, doesn't throw any touchdowns. I, I think you need to win that football game. Like this is going to be one that comes back. I think to to haunt them a little bit later. Maybe they sort of go the the way that they did last year, where you're scrapping at the end of the season, trying to trying to make a bowl. So, you know, how how much do you think that this one's going to be felt sort of down the road? Oh God. This is this is one of those losses that you, you're going to look back ten years from now, and it's if you're a diehard App State fan, it's going to keep you up at night. Um, I, I mean, you you mentioned it. time of possession. You had the ball for forty minutes. You held their quarterback to less than fifty yards passing. Uh, you know, all, all of these great numbers. Your your one blunder is that you gave up one hundred and fifty yards to their running back. Like if. If a team gets 200 and what was it? 207 total, 208 total yards, and 156 of them came from the running back, dude, I'm going to take that all day long. The fact that you lost this game, I hate to use the word inexcusable because it just sounds so harsh, but it's kind of inexcusable. Like, how do you n- not score a touchdown until the fourth quarter and just kind of stagger your way through this game to blow it late? I, I just, and, and look, obviously the elevation change could be a thing. Um, I mean, you, you play in Boone, so you're already elevated, but like, I don't know. There, there's just a, a weird sense about this game uh, that, that App State failed to hang on. And it kind of goes back to our preseason conversation about 
you know, is, is the light at the end of the tunnel kind of starting to show for Sean Clark? And I, I don't know. You, you got to be able to win games like this. And, and the fact that they couldn't worries me. They're the Mountaineers, for God's sake. The elevation can't be the issue. That's fair. That's very fair. So I, I think what I also took away from this is, and, and we've talked about sort of where Sean Clark is in his career as a coach. I think some of these field goal attempts needed, they needed to go on fourth for it. I mean, I'm looking here, uh, you know, one minute left in the second quarter, right before halftime, it's fourth and goal from the Wyoming three. I think some of those threes have to turn into sixes, especially with the way that your defense is playing. I mean, we talked about it. Outside of that one long run that Wyoming had, they were doing absolutely nothing on offense. So I I think you need to start being a little – when you know your defense is playing to that level, you need to be more aggressive with the offensive play calling and stop settling for field goals as much as you were. And then the other thing was, um, uh, Zeke, I know you had talked about – it was either Zeke or Matt last week, I can't remember, about uh, Berger still waiting in the wings to potentially take the, the quarterback job back. This was, you know, exhibit A for him doing that. Joey Aguilar did not look good in this game. It, 22 of 40, one pick, 200 yards. Y- you know, I'm sure Wyoming's okay. I don't watch them on a weekly basis, but man, uh, I, I mean, just an ugly ugly performance all around by App State in a game that you should have probably won going away to to find a way to lose that game is just brutal. Uh but anyway, Wyoming moves to 3 and 1, uh App State drops to 2 and 2. Um let's get into a game here that none of us saw coming, which was Arkansas State picking up their second win of the season. And and you know, I made the joker I wasn't even really joking last week when I said this. I said we needed to say nice things about when they played Stony Brook because we didn't know how many more times we were going to get to say nice things about this football team. And so, you know, Rayner comes out as the quarterback. Not a not an efficient passing day overall, but three touchdowns, 233 yards, and one pick. He also runs for 97 yards and two touchdowns. Dual threat guy can't really can't really argue with that. Freshman, true freshman, pretty good stuff. Uh, you know, Matt, what was it that you took away from this game that you were more surprised about? Was it Arkansas State or was it Southern Miss sort of playing down to them? Southern Miss, what happened? How did you lose to Arkansas State? But no, in in all seriousness, what the hell was that? Because we have been sitting here on this podcast going, okay, you know, we've got about two months until Butch Jones is standing in the unemployment line. And and now he might not be. I mean, I I know you're still four games in, but like, I, I think Butch Jones has unlocked the secret passage to his offense being successful. And it's Jalen Rayner. Can I jump in real quick? Go Arkansas ahead. Arkansas State's in first place in the Sun Belt West. Yes, they are. 
Yes, they are. Go Red Wolves. Too bad they're going to get their little hearts crushed in a couple weeks. But anyways, um, look, Jalen Rayner, uh, look, efficiency-wise, w- was he great as a passer? No, not really. But he's a true freshman. All, all, You know what jumps out at me? Oh, okay. Um, what what jumps out at me is three hundred and twenty something yards of offense and five touchdowns. I mean, th- this is a totally different offense than what you've seen out of Arkansas State under J.T. Shrout, and I think very similarly to Louisiana with Zion Chris, this unlocks a whole extra dynamic to their offense, and I think that it's only going to make them better. Uh, so look, this may be the this may be nothing. But it also may be the sign of things to come for the Red Wolves. Zeke, um, Frank Gore finally awoke from his eternal slumber uh, and decided that he was going to show up and uh, and run for over 100 yards. But unfortunately, it didn't end up mattering. Uh, he ran for 132 on 20 carries. I know you've been Southern Miss's number one fan for going on two years now. So talk to me a little bit about you score 37 points. Are you putting this loss on the defense, or are you putting it at the hands of uh, Billy Wiles, who threw two picks? The man loves the Golden Eagles. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, you score 37 points. Like I just said, that should be enough to win you a football game. Uh, obviously, Jalen Rayner had himself uh, a little coming out party, right? And, and you can't discredit that, but... I just I was wildly unimpressed by the defense. I think the only thing that really stuck out to me is really impressive is that uh, the Golden Eagles had three sacks and seven tackles for losses. I think those are both really good numbers. If you can do that week in week out, you're, you're cooking something with with that pressure. But goodness gravy, man! I mean, 44 points against what we thought literally a week ago thought was going to be maybe the worst team in the country is inexcusable. To your Frank Gore point, I think, uh, one, I, I'm just glad to see him rushing well again because I think he he is a lot of, uh, outside of just the name, the sexy name, I think he, he has the ability to be a very good rusher come NFL time for him. The biggest change was that they gave him the touches. I mean, he had 20 carries for the first time all, all season. And so uh, it's just, it's really tough. Really tough. The two interceptions from Wiles is ugly, but I, it's a it's a it's a defensive problem here. Yeah. Um. I again. I I don't want to. I don't want to diminish Southern Miss's part of this because they definitely deserve some. I don't want to say credit because it's not credit, but they deserve to be sort of knocked down a pedestal or two. And I know Zeke is more than happy to do it, so I just thought I'd kick it over to him for that. But man, Arkansas State to to have a true but good goodness goodness gravy Arkansas State Jalen Rayner <laughs> scoring five touchdowns despite putting up like a Tim Tebow passing stat line is maybe a Tim Tebow pro passing stat line, not a college one. the The one where he was playing with the Broncos, um, and and being able to come away with the win for this one is is easily the most impressive part of this. I'm not ready to to hand Butch Jones the keys to the 2020 
what, 2024 Red Wolves at this point. But we'll see We'll see how that all ends up playing out with uh, hopefully Rainer taking the reins. Anybody? For the rest of the season. Uh, Arkansas State moves to 2-2. Two and two. Uh, and Southern Miss, yikes, one in three, a game that we didn't expect them to lose to the Red Wolves at all. Uh, getting into this next one here, Texas State went to Nevada and beat the Wolfpack 35-24. They, they didn't make it look easy. Um, they, they needed four full quarters to do it because starting... It, at halftime, it was seventeen to nothing, Wolfpack, and I was just sitting there going, "This stinks," because I like Texas State and what uh, GJ Kine has done, and they're just starting to sort of circle the the, the drain again, and this is going to be the end. And then they do a very un Bobcats like thing, which is rallying back from seventeen points down. They outscore Nevada thirty five to seven in the second half alone, so. Credit to them for that. Uh, Matt, I want to throw it over to you. You know, we've given G.J. Kine, T.J. Finley, all these guys a lot of credits. But, man, the the mental fortitude it takes for a team like this that has been in the dumps the last couple of years to, to rally down, what, three scores is, is huge. It's a culture thing, man. Uh, you know, that that's credit to G.J. Kenny and his coaching staff. You know, he came in and, and completely revamped the way that South Alabama does things, or South Alabama, Texas State does things. And, and clearly, you know, it, it's worked. T.J. Finley has been incredible. They've gotten good performances from their defense. And look, they're here to – he's here to make a very early statement in the Sun Belt that – He's going to turn this program around, and he's going to do it quickly. Um, look, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you're playing. If you're down three scores and you come back to win, kudos to you, man. I mean, you you could fall down to UMass by, by 21. You come back to win, good for you. Um, so really impressed by what I saw from, from G.J. Kenny in Texas State. And, and again, like I mentioned, I don't, I don't know if y'all know this about about Louisiana, but we're night people. Our, we, we sleep late and we party until late in the night. So the Sun Belt and ESPN, they knew what they were doing when they made the Cajuns-Texas State game at 2.30 in the afternoon next Saturday uh, because, oh, that's, that's going to be interesting. No, I had no idea that people from Louisiana got down like that. I, I thought Mardi Gras was like a a figment of my imagination. I didn't, I didn't know that that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> Zeke, <laughs> Zeke, Edit that Zeke, out. Uh, I want to, I want to talk to you about this. You know, we, we've given TJ Finley and the passing game, a lot of credit and rightfully so. But in this one, it was Ismail Mahdi, the running back going for you. You love to do the, the fantasy football lineup at the end of every week, man. 216 and two scores. It doesn't get much better than that from a team that, I, I mean, has ran the ball okay this season, but has largely been TJ Finley and the boys, essentially. And so in this one, for him to sort of take that mantle, especially in the second half, was was huge for them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just what we've talked about with these teams that have been adding either a quarterback or a running back. This is maybe the second or third team that we've seen have a real breakout from either a quarterback or running back this week. And so I'll say it again, we've been saying it all. It adds just another dimension to that offense. And, and that makes it just that much scarier. Uh, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me from this game is that it could have been a lot worse. Um, I, I know we're playing a lot of imagination games today, but I mean, four turnover or five turnovers, rather, two fumbles and interception, and then twice turning it over on downs. Uh, so this game... I think, realistically, you talk about the mental fortitude, it requires some to, to rally and say, we're down 21, we got to sort this out. It wasn't like Texas State was getting their doors blown off of. It just wasn't falling their way in the first half. Uh, I'm really scared. I think TJ Finley is probably the best quarterback in the West by a considerable margin right now. And and I know Matt doesn't want me to, to sign that off quite yet, but – uh, from a statistical perspective, he certainly is, and Texas State is looking really, really good through these first couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, like I said, um, they they didn't make it look easy, but that I think the other thing too is think about this, right? Their defense until fifty seven seconds left in the game did not allow an offensive touchdown to Nevada. Nevada's two touchdowns before that point were a 98-yard interception return and then a, it says zero-yard fumble return. I'm going to assume they were on their own one and fumbled it and just somebody recovered it in the end zone. But defensively, too, they had to have done a great job containing Nevada's offense if Nevada didn't score an offensive touchdown until under a minute was left in regulation. So, again, we can't give... You know, we can't say enough nice things about the way that Texas State and, and GJ Kinney uh, has has had um, that team looking this year. But Texas State moves to three and one with the win. Nevada drops to zero and four. Matt, in a, in an exact flip flop of the way that Texas State handled their game, you guys show up in the first half. Second half, eh, not not as great. Uh, so I'm going to give you the floor to talk about the Buffalo game, and then uh, Zeke and I might jump in with a question or two. You know, you, you, both teams kind of started off sluggish, and b- before long, you look up at the scoreboard, and, and the Cajuns are leading 31-7. to They have their foot on the gas pedal, and it appears that they're going to run away with it. But then you muffle punt. So they recover it at the 20 and score. And then a, a great kick by their special teams pins you deep. I want, I want to say the Cajuns had the ball at the 12. And you, your redshirt freshman quarterback gets some pressure. He goes to throw it away. And he doesn't quite throw it far enough out of bounds and it gets intercepted. Um, and, and then Buffalo scores again off of that because they got the ball at like the 10-yard line. Um, and so next thing you know, it's 31, 21 and the Cajuns were able to, to kind of figure out some things and, you know, they, they obviously had to fight off a late Buffalo rally again, uh, to hold on to win 45, 38. But I think the biggest thing that, that you take away from this game, and I've been waiting patiently to talk about it all night 
Zeon Chris is that dude. Look, you, you can you can harp on his two interceptions. Um, one of them I, I think was a play calling mistake. The Cajuns have a designed two minute offense that they run every game, and the coaching staff even admitted to it post game they got away from that. They called something that they don't typically run in that scenario, and it cost them. Um, Zion made the wrong, wrong decision there and it turned into a pick. And then the second one was just a freshman mistake. But in his, I'm going to say two full games because he came in against UAB in the first offensive possession. It was like four plays in. So let's say two full games. He has completed 36 of 49 passes, which is about 72%. For 423 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. And then he has 18 carries for 186 yards and four touchdowns. This is a freshman. He made his first career start Saturday night against Buffalo. I mean, this guy has brought a whole extra level of energy to this offense. Uh, He's unlocked a whole level of the playbook that just wasn't there before. The fan base is incredibly excited about what he's done. Like I mentioned earlier, the defense currently leads the country in sacks. They're second in sacks per game uh, behind Marshall. Uh, In case you didn't know, Marshall is averaging five sacks a game, uh, which is just otherworldly. But look, the, the Cajuns have momentum right now. And look, we'll obviously get into this week's matchups here in a little bit, but if Darius Taylor, who has been a absolute freak for Minnesota, he's injured. He got hurt late in that Northwestern game. If he does not suit up and play for the Golden Gophers on Saturday, I would put Minnesota on upset alert. I'm just saying. So, so Matt, saying. I have I have one question for you. Um, is Ben Woldridge, is he out for the season, or is he supposed to come back at some point? So he's not out for the season, um, but he's out for the, as as Michael Desermo labeled it, the foreseeable future. So so whatever that entails. So I guess my follow-up, and this, this reference is not only before Zeke's time, it's, it's honestly before all of our time. Uh, did he get Wally pipped by Zeon Chris? Did he just get his job taken while he was not able to play? Yes. Yes. Who is one? Un- un- unfortunately, yes. And Zeke, mute your mic. You're done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said, okay. You could have said, like, Drew Bledsoe. I would have got that. Well, Wally, Wally Pipped is just so much... Such a such a better reference. Wally Pitt <laughs> is like a ubiquitous uh, sports term for a guy that like took one day off and then he got replaced by either Garrig or Mantle. I can't remember which one it was, but Garrig. So it was like he was the everyday first baseman for the Yankees, and then all of a sudden he took like one day off to to rest or something, and then Garrig never never gave him the job back. One. Here you go. On June 2nd, 1925, Wally Pipp, the New York Yankees starting first baseman, asked out of the lineup because of a headache. And it turned Lou Gehrig into a baseball immortal. 
So yeah, that that's why I had to ask because if you got Wally Pipp, because man. if Wooldridge comes back, is he? You know, uh, you know, if you want to make the the football equivalent like Zeke did, is he now Bledsoe just standing there with the the headset and the clipboard and and being like, "All right, Zion, let's see what we can do." As much as I I hate to say it, because I have the utmost respect for Ben Wooldridge. Um, as, as not only a college football player, but as a human being, just a great kid. Um, I did a feature story on him a couple weeks ago and sat down with him for about 15 minutes and just an absolutely just incredible guy. Um, but if Zeon Chris continues to play the way that he has played in these last two games, I don't see how this coaching staff benches him. And... The, the reason that I'm going to bring up, and I hate that this is a, an actual conversation that we have to have, but in the era of the transfer portal, if you bench Zeon Chris after six, seven games of him playing well and leading this offense, he's gone. He's gone. He's going to go, you know, to UAB or you know, East Carolina or, or somebody that's going to need a quarterback that he can Liberty. play at. Georgia, Liberty, Georgia Southern. No, he like, wouldn't play here. He, he, I don't think. He, well, huh. no, we, maybe. No, it, it's probably, just, you're actually probably, it's like a stylistic right. thing. Like we, if we were still, yeah, no, you're, if you're we were still right. running the spread option, I would be like, yeah, sure. But not, not now. It's, it's statue quarterbacks. I, I just, I don't see how – now, again, if he comes back to earth and plays like a typical redshirt freshman, then, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Wooldridge is inserted back into the lineup when he's healthy. But if Zeon continues completing 70% of his passes and, and gets you know 300 total yards of offense and four touchdowns a game, there's absolutely no reason to take him out. So I, I have two questions uh, for you, Matt, about this. Firstly, has there always been a pepper as the apostrophe in the Louisiana logo? Yes. I am seeing it for the first time as a pepper. Blowing my mind. Hold on. Oh, what's he got back there? Audio yeah. listeners love you to death. Matt is showing us. I can't tell. It's so dark. Is is or is there not a pepper? As on we that? all know, this is a video medium. But yeah, right. <laughs> splendid, splendid. Audio listeners, Matt's showing us his raging Cajuns helmet. That does not fit my head. Does not fit on him. Real question about football, though, is you mentioned that Minnesota could be on upset alert. Yes. Does it bring you any pause? that Louisiana between Buffalo and then the Old Dominion game that as the days go by looks worse and worse. Like what, what do you make of this now against Buffalo, which is a pretty poor Mac team. And then as we talked about Old Dominion, which is looking like worse by the second, what what do you make of that? It's concerning for sure. Um, But you know, to, to, really look at the Buffalo game, I think the reason the Buffalo was able to put points on the board late was how tired the Cajuns' defense got. 
And I know that that might sound like a cop-out answer for you, Zeke. But, you know, when you look late in the game, the Cajuns' offensive drives were incredibly short. Um, There was a lot of three and outs. This is when the Cajuns were making some mistakes. Um, Buffalo recovered an onside kick late in the game. Uh, So there was a lot of instances where the Cajuns got off the field pretty quickly. Um, and so the defense was on the field far too much. And I, I think it kind of started to show late in the game. But it is concerning because, like you mentioned, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're going to let Old Dominion or Buffalo, which, by the way, both of them put up 38 points on this defense, it is it is concerning. Um, but But I think the biggest thing is going to be you know, starting quickly against Minnesota. This game reminds me a lot of the 2020 season opener when the Cajuns went to Ames, Iowa to play Iowa State. The Cajuns started off fast. They had a couple of breaks go their way. And next thing you know, you, you beat a top 25 team in their house. With um, current, with current so I, 49ers starting quarterback Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Correct. And 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 by by might I add, made Brock Purdy look like a fool. Made, his his stat line that game was horrible. But uh, again, this game sets up that way for me. And maybe that's a little biasness, but I, I just feel like if the Cajuns could go into Minneapolis, start quickly, and have a couple of things bounce their way. I mean, look, the the line's ten points for a reason. This is a winnable football game for the Cajuns. So it, it'll be interesting to see. And I think if Darius Taylor gets ruled out you know, tomorrow or early Friday morning, I think you see that line adjusted maybe down to nine or eight. Uh, so, so things will get really interesting here in the next 24 hours. So with that, Louisiana moves to 3-1 and one this season. Buffalo drops to 0-4. Oh uh, let's talk about the last game of the night. Uh, James Madison, I think, just sort of scored all of their points in the first half and then got tired of scoring so much, I I think is the way that we can kind of take this. Um, You know, they go up, what was it? 38, 17 at the half. They're absolutely dominating Utah state. And then they, they sort of fall asleep for two quarters and then get it back right at the end. As uh, Jordan McLeod hits Reggie Brown for a 74 yard touchdown pass. And then that was the ball game. Um, I I think for me, it might be a little concerning. I, I know they had to go out west and play Utah State. It might be a little concerning given the way that James Madison's defense played against Troy to give up 38. But I'm sort of weighing that versus they just got a huge lead and were and just kind of fell asleep after that point. So... I, I don't really know what to, to take away from this other than obviously it was good for James Madison not to pull an app state and uh, and find a way to lose out West. But Zeke, James Madison keeps rolling. Jordan McLeod looked good in this one. I mean, not really too much to complain about at this point. A, a win is a win. So what did you sort of see? Yeah, I, um, I, I saw what you saw as well in that they just it looked like they kind of let the gas off and then Utah State 
took advantage of that. Uh, and generally, I think that that worries me. That's worried me about App State for the past two years is that they only show up for a half and, and the other allow the uh, opponent to, to take advantage of that time where you're kind of idling. But I'm not really scared about that with James Madison because they were in a similar, uh, at least from like a, a game composition standpoint, they were in a similar situation against uh, against Virginia, where where they took an early lead, and Virginia did crawl back, but it never felt like in that game that James Madison idled. Uh, it did require a a final final drive touchdown and a two point conversion to beat Virginia. I think that was two weeks ago, but. Uh, I'm not too worried about James Madison like I am about App State in that they take an early lead and, and just kind of allow it to slip away super easily. Uh, just just based on how they played against Virginia makes me think this is a, a one-time thing. This offense is crazy good. Um, I think James Madison is without a question the best team in the conference r- right now, and, and it's criminal that, that they're not ranked right now. Uh, and so – I. You know, not much to say other than, you know, uh, stay the course and keep winning football games. Matt, was there anything you wanted to to toss in on this one? I mean, it was pretty, like I said, a dominating performance in the first half, and then they just sort of fall asleep and, and let Utah State creep back into it. So, any any less? Yeah, it, it's it, it's pretty cut and dry. Uh, you know, you, you two kind of hit it on the head. James Madison – showcased their offense early. Uh, Jordan McLeod looked incredibly impressive, uh, which is one of the reasons why he was named uh, Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, just a really strong performance in the first half, and then, you know, maybe got a little complacent. Maybe just, you know, maybe you got to give credit to Blake Anderson's team uh, for kind of waking up and making some second-half adjustments. Either way, um I, I don't think that this dampens my opinion on James Madison that they could very well be the best team, not just in the East, but in the whole conference. Um, they, I mean, they're they're for real. Listen, they were out West. They had a game late. It was past their bedtime. What? Yep. It, hey, it was, it was for damn sure past my bedtime. Simple. So, uh, you know, good win for James Madison. They moved to 4-0 this season. Uh, Utah State drops to 1-3. Uh, we're running a little long here, so I, I kind of want to get through these previews a little really quickly. Um, so, Matt, you kind of gave your spiel about Louisiana and Minnesota. I'm going to assume you're going to take Louisiana plus 11 as it sits today. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. I am going to take the over of 48 and a half. Uh, I think UL has has showed that they can score some points. Uh, Minnesota scored 34 by themselves last week uh, against um, Northwestern. And as much as I hate to say it, Matt, I I think you guys' secondary still gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. So I think I'm going to take the over of 48.5. I think Minnesota wins this game, but I think it's like a field goal. I mean, I think it's really close, but I'm going to take the over. Look, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be completely honest with you. 
with a second-year head coach and a redshirt freshman quarterback, if you go into a Big Ten stadium, compete like hell, and only lose by a field goal, I will jump for joy. I'm perfectly okay with that. Zeke, what what's sort of your take on this one? Uh, I, after watching Minnesota Northwestern last week, I, I just have to take Minnesota. I think it was a really bad beat against Northwestern. That's a team you should re- really should be stomping all over at home. Uh, I'll, I'll take I think Matt is right in all the things he said, but I just, uh, I want Minnesota minus 11 here. Okay. Next game on the slate noon, uh, Eastern time ESPNU. South Alabama is going to keep doing their Harvey Dent two-face act, I guess, and just keep flipping the coin about whether they decide to be a good football team that week or not. But they played James. Zeke, do you get that reference? Yes, I get that reference. It's from an ancient movie. It's called The Dark Knight. Um, Anyway, James Madison's 4-0 this season. They're taking on South Alabama at home. James Madison's a three-point favorite. This is easy to me. I, I can't trust South Alabama as far as I can throw them. I'm going to take James Madison, minus three at home. Zeke, what do you got? Uh, I also have James Madison. I think just regardless of what South Alabama we see, we could see the best South Alabama we've seen all season. James Madison, as I said, I think is just the best team in the conference. Give me uh, the Dukes minus three easy. Matt, what do you got? Yeah, this is going to be an interesting game. Um, Look, this could be the game that South Alabama shows the rest of the league that, you know, they could still be the team that we projected them to be. Or this could just be uh, Georgia Southern, no, Georgia Southern, James Madison telling the NCAA that they should be allowed to play in a bowl game and in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Um, I feel more comfortable taking James Madison here. Um, so uh, so give me the Dukes. Fair enough. Um, Zeke, you had James Madison, correct? Easily. Okay. Easily. Right, cool. Just wanted to, to make sure for easily. clarification. Uh, 3.30 kick on ESPN+. Plus. Arkansas State is traveling to Amherst to take on Massachusetts. Massachusetts is actually a one-point favorite at home which surprises me, but I I think the chance that Arkansas State comes out and lays a stinker is way too high for my tastes. I'm going to take the over once again of 55. I think Arkansas State can definitely put up points as they showed last week. And if Massachusetts is favored, clearly clearly Vegas feels good about them. So I'm going to take the over of 55. I think Arkansas State ultimately wins the game, but I don't want to I wouldn't stake my reputation on that by any stretch. So, Matt, what do you got? Give me the fighting Butch Joneses. Um, look, I, I think that they developed a lot of confidence last week, uh, picking up a conference win against Southern Miss. I think that they run into who is a really bad UMass team. Um, they, they just – they always are. They're near the bottom of uh, – they're near the bottom of college football. The reason their mascot's the Minutemen is because they're only in the game for about a minute. Um, so, <laughs> look, give me give me Arkansas State in this one. Uh, I like the over here, oh, over good. 55. That was real good. 
that well round of applause for that one but <laughs> I, I i certainly like the over here just neither of these defenses are you know really impressing me in any way we know arkansas state can score 30 35 so all you're really searching for is what 21 from uh from umass and and they've they put up 21 against Miami, put up 21 against New Mexico. Uh, I like the over here for sure. Yeah, Arkansas's Arkansas State's defense isn't shutting anybody down either. So I, I think there's going to be ample opportunity for both these teams to score. Okay, so this is a tough one for me. Th- another 3.30 Eastern time kick, ESPN+. Plus. Old Dominion is traveling to Marshall. Marshall's a 14-point favorite. Over-unders 46.5. So I'm sort of struggling with this one because my head says Marshall's going to smash them to bits. But I think what I'm going to end up taking in this one is the under of 46 and a half. Uh, Neither one of these teams scores a lot. I mean, as evidenced by last week. And I could see this being like a 24 to 10 final score. Um, I, I think Marshall plays it safe. I think they run the ball with Rasheen Ali, but I mean, they don't like Fancher doesn't have the the capability to sling it and, and put up a ton of points. So unless Rasheen Ali runs for five touchdowns, which he might by himself, I just, I, I don't, I don't see a way that they, they combine for over this number of points. I think Marshall wins comfortably, but 14 is a lot for a team that doesn't score very much. So Zeke, what do you got? I like Old Dominion to cover here. I think Marshall's gonna gonna win this game for sure. But I, I like Old Dominion to cover, uh, especially if they, as I so adamantly believe, uh, they make the quarterback change at least for this week. Uh, Old Dominion just has a weird way of staying in games, even though it's ugly. They they stay in games. I mean, they only lost to three to Wake Forest. Obviously, beat Louisiana, but. I mean, it's it's uh they they hung around against Virginia Tech for for a while. So I think Old Dominion is able to keep this one close. As you said, Marshall just isn't going to score more than 21, 24 points. Uh, I don't really foresee. So I I like Old Dominion to cover. Matt? I don't trust the Monarchs to cover anything. Rasheen Ali, their own asses. Like, (laughs) they're... Look, Rasheen Ali is going to make this Monarch defense look like children. He's going to – he might run for 200 yards. Uh, but I do agree with Brian on the fact that neither one of these teams are going to score a whole lot. Um, Marshall's defense holds Old Dominion to seven, maybe ten. Marshall scores 28. So give me the under. All right. Um one second here. Uh next game, NFL Network, seven PM Eastern time. Georgia Southern is welcoming in Coastal coming off of a really poor performance against Georgia State. Georgia Southern is a six and a half point favorite in Paulson over under sixty four and a half. I'm gonna let you guys go. I'm I'm really going back and forth here because Grace McCall and and just Coastal in general has has really owned the Eagles as of late, but at the same time, 
it's one of the worst coastal teams we've seen since 2020. The head coach and the play calling on offense is shaky. Defensively, they didn't do any anything really positive last week. So I'm going to throw it to Zeke first. Let I'm going to throw it to Zeke and then Matt, and then I'm going to come back and I'll have settled on something by then. Uh, I like Southern minus six and a half here. When Southern wins, they don't just win by one touchdown. That, that's been the case for the past two years. And, and for all the reasons you just listed, I, I can't trust Coastal to win on the road uh, against a Southern team that's looked pretty freaking good the past couple weeks. So give me a uh, Southern to cover. Yeah, I, I really like the Eagles in this one. Um, Brian, I, I've told you this for years. I'm an environment guy, and, and Paulson's just it, – it's a special environment when it's rocking. And uh, Coastal showed me last week that they are very susceptible to good offenses, um, especially uh, one that can that can throw it pretty well. Um, so I, I like Georgia Southern here. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll take the Eagles minus six and a half. I think I'm going to take the Eagles six and a half as well. Uh, they're playing at home on top of things, which I mean. I think more than many other teams, they perform a lot better at home than they do on the road. Uh, and Coastal has just has been really disappointing, even for sort of the lowered uh, expectations that I've had for them. So I'm going to take Georgia Southern minus six and a half as well. Zeke, you guys, Georgia State, a one-point favorite at home against Troy, the defending Sunbelt champions. How do you feel about that? I mean, had you told me that five weeks ago, I, I would have laughed that Georgia State was even going to be in the conversation for a game against Troy. I, I truly would have. And last week, uh, I, I I went against my rooting interest and, and took Coastal. Uh, I don't think I'm going to make that mistake again. Georgia State's offense is really, really good. Troy's defense, while still strong, is not nearly what it was last season. And I don't trust Gunnar Watson to keep up with Darren Granger. Um, you know, Vidal's going to have another really good rushing game. And think we're, we're probably looking at two of the top three, probably the two best rushers in, in the conference right now. Um, two of the top five in the country from a statistical perspective. So, um, But Gunnar Watson just can't keep up with Darren Granger. And so I'll take Georgia State minus one. Matt? Yeah, I look, I really like the ground game that we're going to get out of this one. Uh, Kamani Vidal, Marcus Carroll, uh, just, just like Zeke mentioned, that's going to be a great rushing attack. I think the key is going to be which defense, and, and again, this is going to sound like a Captain Obvious answer, but what defense can get one more stop late in the game? Because I think that this stays close all the way through. Uh, so which defense can stand up late is going to be – the question that's going to have to be answered. I'm going to go against the grain here. Give me the Trojans. Um, so I, I think, I think Troy edges them out very narrowly in this one. Um, but I don't feel strong enough to make it my pick. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the under of 50 and a half. Um, Troy doesn't score a lot. Their defense isn't what it was last year, but they held, uh, what was it, James Madison to 14 points two weeks ago. 
I know that they're sort of all over the place, but I think that they kind of stand up for these Sunbelt games. So I'm going to take the under. I think Troy makes it really ugly, and and, and it's like a baseball score. Um, I, I think it could be like 13 to 9 when it's all said and done. Like, I, I truly don't know. But it, Troy doesn't score points. So even if you feel good about Georgia State, I think they would have to almost cover most of the number by itself. So I'm going to take the under here. Uh, 7 o'clock ESPN Plus. Um, Texas State is traveling to Hattiesburg to take on Southern Miss. Texas State's a five-and-a-half point favorite over under 62-and-a-half. Texas State, it's easy. It's that easy. It doesn't have to be difficult. I don't I don't know that five-and-a-half is – Low, is is high enough. It, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, this is one of those situations where, like, we don't know better than Vegas, but whoever in Vegas is not watching Southern Miss play football right now this was, is not watching no, this, this was one of those scenarios where they looked at the game and the odds makers were like, mm, we know that Texas State is going to kick their ass, but let's let Southern Miss feel a little bit better about themselves. So we'll make it five and a half. No, give me Texas State easily. So we're recording this on Wednesday, later than we usually do. Do we think that line is going to move at all? And what what would be an appropriate line for this game? Because I think 13 and a half is probably where I would set it. I was going to say 10. I was going to say eight and a half. Um, because, okay, okay, okay th- we had a scenario like this a couple weeks back where it was App State and Eastern East Carolina, and we were like, East Carolina's not mm-hmm. good. App State's a pretty good football team. They're only nine and a half point favorites. That doesn't make any sense. And we all, I think, consensus took App. It it was the easiest pick of the entire week. So, again, this doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't always need to be hard. But mm-hmm. Texas State, just from what I've seen this year, like. If they hadn't had, have come back last week, I'd be more down on them. But coming back from down mm-hmm. 17, I just I feel like even if Southern Miss gets up in this game, Texas State's not out of it. So mm-hmm. that's sort of where I sit on it. Um, so I'm taking Texas State as well, just in case that wasn't clear. The last game of the night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, ESPN Plus, App State's traveling to Monroe to take on the Warhawks. App is a 13.5 point favorite on the road. Over-unders 50-and-a-half. UL Monroe, before you make your selections, has had a full week off to plan for this game for what that's worth. We might get a little Terry Bowden, uh, old man Six Flags dancing potentially after this game, so that would be fun if we got to see that again. Um, No shot. I'm actually going to go again. I'm going to take UL Monroe plus Um, 13-and-a-half. I... I don't believe that they're a great football team, but I've seen what App is capable of, and I'm saying that in air quotes, Mm -hmm. which is going against a team that I thought they were head and shoulders better than in Wyoming last week and finding a way to lose. So I think App wins, but I think UL Monroe keeps it closer than 13.5, so that's that's my pick. Yeah, I think you're spot on. App State doesn't win games by two touchdowns because they don't play two halves of football. Grossa. Both of you despicable. Look, I, I'm going to actually take a moment and give 
some credit to the fighting Terry Bowdens. Uh, Monroe has been a little impressive in in their three games. Um, But look, App State, I think that this is a game that has Nate Noel written all over it. And I don't think Monroe's going to know what to do with it. 13 and a half is a lot. Uh, so I'm going to stay away from that. The over-unders, 50 and a half. Give me the under very slightly. Um, I, I can see this being a 35-14, 35-17 kind of game. Well, 35-17 would <laughs> I was be over. That's 52. But- <laughs> Uh, hey, look, I failed freshman algebra. Don't at me. Um, give me, give me, give me app. Wait, so you want app or the under? Give me app. You talked yourself, you talked yourself in a perfect circle. I did. Uh, I did. (laughs) I do that often, Brian. I don't know if you know, if you know that about me. All right. So that wraps up Saturday's slate of games. Uh, I'm going to throw it back to Matt and then to Zeke. Tell people where they can find you on social media and any sort of parting thoughts on Sunday. All right, so we'll we'll, we'll plug this up real quick. My, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt, and I've been bragging on Zeon Chris. Um, if you want to read it in article form, I just released today a 1,300-word feature on Zeon Chris and how he is the future of the Louisiana Rage Cajuns football program. Uh, you can check that out at ESPNSouthwestLouisiana.com, and uh, I'll have Brian retweet that from the Warm Weather Fans Twitter account. That might – hold on. Really quick. Uh, I'm so, hold on. That might be the kiss of death, Matt. Didn't you say you write a feature about Ben Woldridge and he got hurt? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Stop writing features about the quarterbacks. Stop it. Bad. Bad. Down. We get the spray bottle. All right, Zeke, go ahead. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. Right now, I'm hot on the, if Georgia State wins this weekend, they deserve to be ranked trail. And by proxy, also James Madison. Um, so that that... If, you, if we see wins by either of those teams on Saturday, Sunday, before the poll comes out, going to be a lot of that. This man's going down trails. Hey, man. Hey, th- you can't leave a 5-0 and team out of the polls. I agree. Uh, I agree. Rank the Sunbelt, Brian, I know you're on Twitter as well. Rank the Sunbelt, you cowards. Um, yeah, you could find the show on Twitter at WarmWeatherFans. Uh, you can email us at warmweatherfans at gmail.com. We'd love to have questions, comments, not so much concerns. You can keep those to yourself. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at watchthestone or x.com or whatever, whatever it is. We will be back next week to discuss this slate of games and then get into week six. This has been Warm Weather Fans, the Sunbelt Podcast. Peace.